welcome to Popcorn Martini Soup, movie podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Anna. And we're your hosts, here to hang out. And we always end up talking about movies. Usually over a couple of martinis. Or a warm bowl of soups. And we are back with part two of our Lord of the Rings extravaganza. Um, if you missed part one, it came out last week. Make sure to go check that out first because we are just diving right into continuing our conversation with our two very special guests. Yeah, let's get into it. All right. So we're going to go right back to where we left off and get right into The Return of the King, the third of the trilogy. I think from the sense of the conversation we had in our last episode, there's a lot of really good stuff that we want to unpack from this third one. Um, but before we get into it, I do want to acknowledge this. This came out in 2003. So the first two was 2001, 2002. This was all back to back. So we're getting all this incredible content every single year. Anais and Dan, welcome back. Um, so curious about just kind of like, what is the moment that really stands out about Return of the King? Like what comes to mind right away that you want to bring up? Oh, there's so many moments. But I think yeah. like, when I think back to when I watched it for the first time, it was in the theaters, which I hadn't done for the other two Lord of the Rings movies. This Ooh. was like the first time I watched it in a theater. And I remember being so freaked out by Shelob. Oh, yes. Mm. That was like the first thing I thought about because I remember like it was just like the first it's such a, I don't know, it's such a like loud movie. It's such a like visceral movie in a lot of ways. But that stuff doesn't really translate when you're just like sitting at home on your TV, you know? And um, I mean, I could talk a lot about She Love because I, I, from what I know, I mean, we've established I'm a special features nerd. And uh, I know Peter Jackson was really afraid of spiders. And so he was like consulted in a way to kind of make sure she was made very terrifying. Oh, and. And the the sound effects for like how her legs move and and the like squelches she makes were like so specific. And for it came out in two thousand three, so I don't even know how old I was at that point. Like I I was at a young age. I was at an age impressionable enough to be like, holy wow, by that spider. Yeah, totally. I feel like it progressively these movies gotten scarier and more terrifying. And even like mm -hmm. as a kid, I was like, there's moments that I have to skip. Even now it scares me because there's nothing really like, you know, actually horrifying and scary to you as an adult watching it. But you remember as a kid seeing those moments, it was like unsettling. And the third one, there's some really freaking moments, but... Yeah, Dan, what was what was the moment you were going to bring up? You no, know, yeah, it's, it's it's so true. Like the the third one is such a it's obviously a very triumphant finish, but it the tone is so dark. Like I think too to the I think this is Return of the King, but let me know if this is actually the second movie, but um when Faramir and the other Gondorian soldiers are sent to sent to their doom essentially, like it's a suicide ride and this Pippin song is in the background. Oh. But then the orcs catapult the heads of the soldiers over the walls oh, yeah. of Minas yeah. Tirith, and you're like, it's it's very that's that's very dark for these movies. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the darkest things that they do in the movies. Yeah, it really is. I think like there's gore, but that is like psychological warfare in a way that I don't think has happened earlier in the trilogy up till that point. What about you, Anna? Do you have a moment that stands out? It feels like, I mean, 
with this dark tone, I agree. I think that like some of the darker moments are the things that stand out in my mind and like not to bring up Harry Potter again, but that was sort of my main reference when I was watching this. And I was like, why do all of these fantasy properties have these terrifying giant spiders? Like who decided that they were just going to freak all the children out and give us huge spiders to like haunt our nightmares. Um, but yeah, Anna, do you have something that stands yeah, out? Yeah, the, the spider moments, they're, they're probably the worst moment, especially like not even the spider actually for me, it was Frodo. Like I, I can't, I can't look at Frodo just all wrapped up in the webs and he's so pale and in that like really gritty and sharp kind of dirty environment and he's so naked under all the webs and like there was something texturally as well that was so painful to look at it was so scary to me at the time when I watched it it was dark and like even now I'm like I don't need to see these scenes it's like freaking me out it's it's too much um or even like the even Frodo I mean just to add to the layer of darkness there is that Sam obviously now we're really getting into it but Sam at that point thought that Frodo was died and so took the ring and only to realize that he's actually still alive and he's been taken away and that's again a sort of a maybe less dark than the heads going over the wall but it's a really awful awful moment for for him as a character and you you can't help but feel absolutely gutted um yeah so much for like ending i mean we talked about how the second one ended in like a mini you know a win like a triumphant moment and it's like nope we're getting really dark (laughs) yeah just the way that sam like beats himself up in that moment you see him realize that Frodo is still alive and and just like you hear it in his voice as he is like muttering to himself like oh Samwise you like stupid little hobbit what have you done and and he just is so upset and then you have to watch him like pick himself up and realize okay I've got to like go in there and chase after him Mm -hmm. because what else are we gonna do like I'm not taking this ring to Mordor if he's still alive he is he is the bearer of the ring and you just know that it's going to get so much harder again for them after everything that they've already been through but out of that you get such an amazing moment for sam like for me the i mean i talked last episode about how there are so many moments in this trilogy that make me want to cry but i think most of them happen in this movie and one of them is when sam is single-handedly fighting off like four orcs to get to Frodo, because, like, before you see that, you're like, but they, the whole reason they succeeded is because they never really ran into anyone, and that's the only way they got this far, and so how are you going to do this? And then he just, like, does it, and, like, is so brave and rises to the occasion and is, like, proves himself so much more capable than anyone thought he uh, he would be, and it's when he says, like, and that's for my old gaffer! Oh, yeah. And you're like... <laughs> Oh, oh God! It like it gets you right in the heart. It's a reminder of how far from home they are, and I think I I often get these moments that when I'm watching these movies and thinking, man, like obviously these characters have been on such a journey to get to where they are, um, uh, particularly the hobbits from the Shire. But I'm also like, as a viewer, I'm also like, man, it's been a long time since we were there. My God, I feel like we've all been on a journey. Um, but you're kind of reminded in that moment, like just how much they've been through. Like he's a gardener. Yeah. Like and like he, and all of a sudden he finds him and himself in Wardor fighting off orcs. Yeah, you kind of feel a little like proud for them for how far they've managed to get despite like incredible odds against them. At least in the first two, I think there were like nuggets of home that were placed in, and the characters still had it in mm-hmm. them to bring a sense of home. And you know, in the extended version, we see 
quite a bit of that in the in the second one as well but i feel like in the third one there's it's like no it's like we're we're here we're we're at the end you know and it's like really really intense but um well, speaking of sam because we've been talking so much about like i i love the side of sam that we get to see in this specific movie um and anise in our last episode you mentioned something about what you wanted to bring up something about sam i'm so curious please please tell us okay yeah so i think like undisputedly we recognize as like adult lovers of these movies that sam is like the heart of the movies like they wouldn't have gotten there without sam Frodo says that but like it's true they wouldn't have succeeded with sam but i as i kind of came to realize this as i got older i kind of resisted against that idea at first because i found like sam in the first movie at the very beginning is like so lovable he's just kind of like the sidekick like sweet little gardener man and then i found he got he sounds so mean to poor Sam. <laughs> but I feel like he's so wimpy and whiny for a good portion of, like, towards the end of Fellowship through Two Towers. Like, he has his moments, but as soon as Gollum comes into the picture, he's, like, he gets so sullen, you know? And I just didn't... I just have such a hard time with it. I'm like, you're better than this. And why are you, are you being this way? You're being so whiny and petty but there's like a moment in Return of the King and I really think it's like it it like culminates in him walking back down the stairs after Frodo has kind of cast him away and he's crying and it's so heartbreaking because at that point you're like well maybe you were whining but this is objectively very sad for you um and as soon as he finds the Lamba spread and he and realizes what's happened realizes that like he was right all along that Gollum tricked him I think that's when it shifts and he's like, you know what? I was right. And I'm going to shoulder this whole mission on my back for the rest of this movie. Because he turns around and is such a hero. Like, he won't take no for an answer. Even when he has, like, at the beginning of the movie, talking about darkness in this movie. At the beginning of the movie, he's like, well, I've rationed enough bread for us to go home. And Frodo gives him that look. Like, "Mm, poor sweet Sam, we're never going home. Um, then like at the end of the movie, he's like, I don't think we're going to, I don't think there's going to be a journey home, drink the rest of the water, you know? Um, even in that moment, even when he's being kind of defeatist, he's being sort of like realistic with himself. And I think kind of true to himself and is like, you drink the water. All that matters is that we get there. And he just like carries literally the journey and Frodo on his back. Like he really turns around for me. And, and I loved watching that, this like latest rewatch that I did. I was like, I really enjoy Sam towards the end of the movie, but have such a hard time. I love the hot Sam take, (laughs) but (laughs) it's true. It's like, I think, I think for a lot of the movie and just thinking on it now, he's so tethered to home. And of course, like I like a lot of the hobbits are, and I, I think Frodo perhaps has a bit more of a, of a of a realization as the movies go on just like this is his task and you know he probably might not think there's a, a home to go back to um but you see like sam i mean when they get to rivendell in the first movie and he's talking about it's time to head back now they've done their job or like i think just references back home and i think there's some stuff in the extended editions too but home so important for him uh, as a place and to his identity and i think it's almost a little heartbreaking in the end when he kind of does you do see him sort of just accept the fact that 
this is kind of it. And this is, there probably isn't going to be a home um, return back. Yeah, I think especially like when they're talking about home and, you know, he's talking about Rosie and like if he was ever going to get married, he would have married her. And he, you see him kind of reckon with like giving up that mm-hmm. dream for himself and having to reconcile that like because he's been swept into this and because he is going to be there for Frodo and going to like help help them complete this like world altering mission he has to give up all of the things that he previously thought his life would be and that he previously wanted for himself and that feels like a really heavy shift for someone to have to make especially like because he didn't ask to be part of this right he was kind of swept along into it because he was at the wrong place at the wrong time poor guy yeah i love that moment though when he's talking about rosie and when he's talking about the shire it's like it's very sad. I mean, maybe I feel this way because I know that they end up making it out. Spoiler alert. But, like, there's that moment where it just feels like they did what they set out to do. They, it's, it's, like, it's very sad, but it's also, like, a moment of completeness and a moment of achievement at the same time as it is a moment of loss. So I think that it's, like, so I think it's quite beautiful that even in that moment, it's not just like one sad thing. It's like many things. No, I think that's true. And I think that that is the case for a lot of this movie in particular, because it is an ending for so many characters. But it's also like it's such a complicated ending because everyone is fighting for not only their lives, but like what they believe in and their people. And it's not as easy as, you know, we have achieved a victory. It's everybody has lost something along the way and everybody is paying a price for, despite the fact that they win in the end, it was a really difficult journey and none of them are the same afterwards. And I think you see that, especially in the ending with Frodo, where he's like, I cannot live in the Shire anymore. It doesn't feel the same and it doesn't give me what I need anymore. I'm a different person coming out of all of this. And he's lost that kind of easy comfort of the life that he had before. And so he has to leave it and leave all of his friends That's the saddest part of the whole trilogy. so sad. I I heard that Apparently that was the very first day that they filmed any of the movies. Apparently they filmed the scene when they're leaving the shores of Middle-earth to go to the Undying Lands. I thought that it was the very end. But that was their, apparently that was the they, that was their first day of filming. I'm pretty I'm pr- I don't maybe don't quote me on that. Um but I remember uh maybe <laughs> and and I used to give me very very suspicious look. Well, if that's true, I don't want to like discredit you because you very well could be right. But if that's true, like, so a lot of what I, not a lot, something that I thought to be true is wrong. So you're just kind of shaking my core belief system right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No big deal. I'm kidding. But so I had heard that like it was one of their last days of filming. And it was so emotional because not only because they were doing an emotionally an emotional scene, but because they were leaving. Maybe this was like post production or something. Maybe we're both right. Maybe there's a world Maybe, in which we're both exactly. correct about this. But I heard that it was like it was so emotional because they were also leaving the franchise, and they just had a really long, arduous day of like tears and emotions and all this and like all these different shots, and then they. They braked for lunch and came back and um, Sean Astin didn't have his like vest on underneath his, you know, coat. Mm. So they did a bunch more takes and then they had to do it again because for continuity. He oh, wow. The I vest. never heard that. That's that's what I heard. But I maybe that wasn't post and you were right that like maybe this was like the first thing they shot in the in the very first. I don't know. We'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> 
lost to time. But it, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 there's something um, yeah, really heartbreaking, I think, about those sort of last few scenes where the hobbits return to Hobbiton and like you're and you as a viewer return there too after all this time but it's changed it's different and there's that realization of course that you you never really go back in a sense and yeah it's it's beautiful it's poignant it always leads me to going I need to watch the beginning of fellowship again so I can get back to my Hobbiton it's like so cyclical in that way Mm -hmm. yeah that's so true because like as a viewer too like you've changed like there's no going back to the beginning of not knowing the existence of these films mm-hmm. so it's like really sad but it's also almost acknowledging that like we're we've also changed and we're like moving on to different things from finishing these three movies but then yeah that's part of the reason why like you said like it's so they're all so rewatchable because you want to go back to those days when you're just kind of like the the first time you saw the first film and like what that felt like to you mm-hmm. and you just go over and over again oh <laughs> big on a big hamster wheel it. of life <laughs> i also i remember reading i think this was on like the lord of the rings subreddit recently as one does someone remarked how in the very ending when frodo gets on the the ship to go to the undying lands that uh when he looks back at you know the other hobbits and he smiles that it's it's perhaps like the first genuine smile we see from him like it's since like the first movie like we, we just don't see him we see him go through so much over the three films a lot of it really heartbreaking and tough that it's it's amazing to see him smile again uh, after all that time i love the moment when he wakes up after they destroyed the ring he wakes up in Minas Tirith and sees gandalf and i <laughs> okay so i watched this with my boyfriend and um this happened last night and uh, we watched it and and we're looking at their faces and it's so drawn out, right? And so I was like, yeah, because like he thought Gandalf was dead. And my boyfriend turned to me and went, this whole time? <laughs> Which is like, it's so sad because like, yeah, we as the viewers, we like, we had that heartbreak and we had that be resolved, the fact that Gandalf came back, right? But like Frodo and Sam have been completely on their own this whole time. They missed so much and have been away from the fellowship for so long. Like there were interactions, you know, like Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli met up with Gandalf and then they saw Merry and Pippin. And they're like, you're cool. Okay, great. And went into their own thing. But Frodo and Sam have been so disconnected in like the worst parts of this plot line that at the end for them to all come back together, like it's fun. But when you think about it from their perspective, it's like oh so meaningful so meaningful and also for him to be reunited with his like his guide like his life his life guide in many ways right like he relied so much especially in the first movie on gandalf's wisdom of course but like almost as like a parental figure in some ways like he doesn't know what to do like where to go and he kind of forges his own path and it's for him to then not reintroduced but to be brought back together yeah it's beautiful well, speaking of, there, obviously there's so many wholesome moments through all three films, but I kind of wanted to bring up um, the villains of the films, and Dan, you brought this up when, like off recording, but can we talk a little bit about the bad guys? Dan, you brought it up, so I'm going to, why don't you uh, yeah, love kick us to. off? Well, it's just such a rich world of baddies, and like they have some of the best baddies ever, and like Again, I think of some other films like, um, gosh, like A Phantom Menace of Star Wars, where you meet Darth Maul and he's on screen for such such a small amount of time and it leaves you going like, who on earth was that? I need to know more about him. And there's characters like the Balrog in Moria or even like the Witch King of Angmar 
who we see for you know a relative short amount of time but they're so captivating you're like who on earth is this and again those kind of characters that lead you down these lord of the rings wikipedia rabbit holes to know the the stories of like who they are i've always been gravitated towards the witch king in particular because there's that whole kind of subplot in a way where we see him a lot or it a lot throughout the entire movies and, and how no no man can kill him and he has such a, a gratifying end on Pelennor and Pelennor Field. Um, yeah, it's just it's the the baddies in this these movies are so good. As I was gonna say, and also Sar- Saruman, who's um, I'll never forget. I don't know why I remember this, but I think it was the MTV Movie Awards, um, and it must have been like 2000 and like two. Saruman and Gandalf were nominated for best fight scene, and that just oh, goes wow. to show you how good of a baddie he is too. He's got the chops yeah. to fight. There's um in my rewatch kind of picked up on I mean this character we always kind of know that he's like bad in a way but he's not one of the main baddies you know like he's not who we stereotypically think of as a villain but every time I watch the movie I'm like man he's just the worst um (laughs) and it's Denethor what an awful person like to the core like he doesn't really have a redeeming moment it almost comes when Faramir dies, nearly dies, but then, like, as a, as a kid, that whole scene really baffled me. I was like, why does he keep trying to burn him? Does he not hear Pippin? He's, like, trying to tell him that his son is alive. Like, why, why isn't he turning course, you know? And then as an adult, I really realized that he was, like, is such a coward and is so defeatist that he would rather burn himself and his son alive. A, what a, like, vehicle for death. Why are you choosing that? And B, like, what if you just looked outside your window? Like, it doesn't look great, admittedly, but Gandalf is, like, running this, like, defense. And what if he just helped? Like, what if they had a chance? What if you hoped? What if you tried? And instead he's like, no, I'm going to set fire to us both. And is like, so woe is me. My line has ended. The house of the stewards has failed I'm mm-hmm. like i'm rooting for you to fail dude you don't deserve this such a downer and it feels i think it feels so much worse because you've already had this interaction where Faramir is being compared to boromir and being found wanting for like no fault of his own like denethor is really like i wish that you had been the one to die instead and you like that is such a hard moment to watch because it feels so painful and you can see it on Faramir's face just how much he's like like I wish there was something I could do to try to live up to like what you expected of Boromir but I'm I'm just me like I'll do what I can um but there's like a a real defeat in him it's like what child wants to hear like I wish that you had died instead of your brother too it's not even it's not even (laughs) no not couched in yeah any kind of like language it's really like yeah it should have been you especially when he knows in his heart of hearts he did the right thing and then to just like have him be on the brink of death but still alive and have his father basically just like willfully ignore that and try to burn him it really reinforces that some people are not willing to change and at that point like you have to you can't try to like live he can't faramir can't try to live for him anymore for like denethor and to live up to what he wants can we also talk about what a what a, a really um, strange play it is when you're on fire to run off the, the <laughs> run off a cliff? I <laughs> it's got I great mean, the drama level is of course it looks 
Incredible. Incredible. Incre- yeah, great yeah. shot. Uh, yeah. A little, an interesting play, but credit to him. He wanted to go out with a bang, you know? Yeah, he sure did. And then, like, you look at him compared to Theoden, who has his, like, poor moments. He makes a lot of poor choices, actually. When you watch it back, you're like, oh, you consistently are just running away or, you know, not supporting Gondor or whatever. But then when he does make the right decisions, like he's quite aware of the fact that he's been trying to be worthy of his forebears and that he finally did it. He finally was. So when you look at that character arc with someone kind of struggling to figure out what is right and what is like his own ego, you know, and then compare that to Denethor, who is just like such a piece of shit. It's true. I love that. Just thinking, I know I I do love comparing and and thinking to the two scenes where um, when Denethor loses a son and you know, with Faramir thinks he loses his son and how he responds and how Theoden also loses his son. And there's that really beautiful, poignant scene in Two Towers where he has that monologue to Gandalf about how no father should live long enough to um, mm. yeah. to birth their son or something to that effect. And it's just beautiful, but you see the, I guess, the different attitude towards fatherhood um, and kinship and, and all those things. The, t- the tale of two fathers that's what this this trilogy is all about well it's also like the kinship that he has with eowyn too because like mm-hmm. he's her uncle but he really is so close to her really kind of adopts her as his own daughter almost and like you know some uncles and nieces aren't so far removed but i think for a lot of people that's like a really special bond that they have and even when theoden is dying and he gets to see her again it's like that's such a heartbreaking moment oh it really is I feel like I can relate more to the Balrog of Moria than Denethor. Poor, cre- poor creature. I mean, at least the Balrog was like provoked. Yeah, he was just trying to sleep down there. He was hiding, and he was—he was exactly—he was provoked by some noisy armor falling down a well. Can we talk a little bit, like, really quickly about just like Mary's moments in this one? Because I just—I—I I love how Mary really did grow, like, in the last two films for me. Um, I mean, Mary and Pippin's, like, relationship, really, we get to see a lot more of that um, in the last two films. and But in this third one, and, like, just the growth that Mary and both Pippin has, but, like, just the way Mary is just, like, no, like, I'm an independent person. Like, we are a pair. But the way we see him just, like, fighting at the end, and oh, I love it so much. Or, like, uh, like in terms of the independence, like, making the case, like, he can contribute, he can fight. Yes. You know, he, he wants to be part of this. Oh, so, that's such a good moment when they're, like, getting ready to ride out, and he's like, I want to be part of this world, or I want to fight for this world, or whatever he yeah. says. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, Mary, you go. And then, and then like, when Eowyn scoops him up onto... Her horse and he goes, My lady. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's so cute. I love their bond too. Like Same. their bond is so lovely. Cause I feel like, you know, she's not a very maternal person. Like she kind of eschews a lot of like feminine traits because she doesn't want to be trapped by them. But um she's so motherly towards him. And he is so like he really sticks up for her too. Like he stabs the witch king in the calf, you know, and like So cool. Yeah. That whole, that whole scene is a wonderful sequence. That's like one of my faves in the movie for sure. Like that's a classic for me. I am no man. And oh. she just, you know. The hair. The hair the again. Hair. Incredible. Incredible. I also rewatching it. I So I didn't watch the extended edition this version or this time around. And I forgot that 
the moment when Aomer sees Eowyn on the field is in the extended edition, so I didn't get to see it, but he, like, the emotion that Keith Urban emotes, <laughs> or not Keith Urban, what's his name? Carl Urban. Carl Urban! <laughs> Keith Urban. Okay, I genuinely, I was like, Keith Urban is in this movie? <laughs> oh my During God. the musical number. Yeah. Carl like, Urban. Did I miss him in, like, a band as a hobbit in the background? Oh my God. <laughs> Carl Urban. Yes. The emotion he gives as Aylmer. Like, first of all, just like, we didn't talk about Aylmer last episode. I love him so much. Um, But just in that moment alone, like, the run that he does, the wail he does, and just, like, for such a surly guy, like, how he just breaks down in tears when he sees his sister and thinks she's dead. It's like, if anyone listening is not an extended edition fan like I get it it's a four-hour movie for Return of the King but please go YouTube that clip because it's like what an insane gut punch so well done can't say enough good things about it I was I always kind of forget in some weird ways that this is the same Carl Urban in these movies that's like in the boys right now I just I forget how how long he's been around for it's great they're one of my favorite extended edition scenes is in Return of the King, and it's with, and I always forget this is in the extended editions. For some reason in my mind, I, I feel like it's in the original cut, but it's with the mouth of Sauron at the yeah. gates of Mordor. And that's such, it's again, it's, it's so, it's not a long scene, but it's really packs a punch, and it's really quite powerful. First off, the look of this character, who is just atrocious, but terrifying, and really is kind of, I think, lends itself well to that dark feel of the third movie. But what is his line about how how who knew such something so small could suffer so much as yeah. he throws the mithril? Oh. And then the beheading of the mouth of Sauron? Oh. Oh, yeah. Chef's kiss. Beautiful scene. I feel like there are so many extended edition moments that yeah. just deserve to be part of that movie. Obviously, like, you can't have a four-hour theatrical cut. But I was saying this yesterday, like, watching it, there's all of that moment, like, you know how they're talking about, like, well, we need to draw the orcs out to give um, Frodo and Sam a chance. You you don't get to see them join in that horde of orcs. You don't get to see any of that. They're just kind of, like, trudging along in their, like, orc armor one moment, and then the next moment they've, like, taken it all off and they're just in their regular clothes again, like, dehydrated. That was... Oh, I didn't... Yeah, yeah, I think I'm, like, mixing extended cuts. I didn't realize that that was extended. Yeah, and I, neither did I. And, like, I, I was willing to bet that the mouth was, but that part I thought was such a good explainer for why it was so important yeah. that Aragorn and, like, that whole company go draw them out because you see it happening. You see the effects of it. And in the movie, the only sort of, like, like, in the non-extended edition, the only moment that sort of justifies that action is when Sauron eye is looking at Frodo and Frodo kind of faints mm. and then mm-hmm. when Aragorn when they like knock on the gate basically is when Sauron looks away and yeah. to me that's just not a strong enough justification for what they're doing like yet again they're preparing to give their lives to give Frodo and Sam like the glimpse of a chance to mm-hmm. do what they need to do and that kind of, that level of like sacrifice I think is so it's so earned in the extended edition I thought it does feel funny doesn't it where you know knock or what have you and within like minutes they're surrounded yeah <laughs> you're like oh well this one's uh, well that bought us a yeah. minute <laughs> like the gates open and there's they're being marched at and it's like yeah what did you think was gonna happen when and so then they like go up and then they go back and then they go at go in again yeah. it's really yeah but that there's that amazing shot of when the, the gates do open and of course the whole army's marching out 
and in the center of that shot is the the Sauron's tower. It's like again just a really really incredible shot. And also it's like it's, it's they have like cave trolls, um, and they have just like the, again this like kind of huge army of baddies. And I also often think back being like you know there was a scene in the first movie where the cave troll was like the main enemy, and this was a big part of like in, in the minds of Moria, of course. And all, now all of a sudden we've come such a long way that they're just it's very casually there's a cave troll or two or three in this army it's like it's just a reminder like how how um how larger the stakes become i also quickly want to just mention the moment of when i know this is like another maybe cliche moment but the trio i'm going to bring back the trio again there's a couple really good trio oh. moments in this movie i mean when they get off the the ship yeah um <laughs> Yeah, right? Incredible. Slow-mo, Aragorn's obviously, like, leading it. It's just, what is it about it that makes you go, like, just rooting for that moment with your entire body and soul? You're just like, yes. Like, it's, I I mean, I'm not a sports person, but I feel like this is what sports feels like. (laughs) Yes, that sense of, like, triumph when this thing happens and you're like, oh, they've got it now. Like, this is it. Yeah. Probably one of my favorite moments in this movie in particular um, is like leading up to that scene where Aragorn makes that speech in the Cave of the Dead and is like, I do not fear death, like barrels in there. And then like straight up to the King of the Dead is like, you will suffer me. Like, it's just it's such a strong moment. And you just like, again, with like the feeling of triumph. That whole scene, you're like, God damn, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> He has so many good things to say in this movie, like the speech before the fight in front of the Black Gate, Mm. like that one is really good, although he says a line really funny, and it's every time, that's a bit of a cringe moment in this movie for me, when when he's like, I, the, the the same eyes that would strike the heart of me. He says it like <laughs> really weird. It's the one Aragorn moment where I'm like, bro, could you just chill? Um, Aragorn, ha- Aragorn has no chill. No. no. Not a one. No. And like 99.9% of the time, I'm here for it. It's just yeah, that one... Yeah that one time well which is part of the reason why i love the trio because even the moment just that you were just describing i'm pretty sure like it's followed by a legolas like trying to keep up with that level of intensity that aragon comes with (laughs) but then there's gimli that's just like like yep i'm there doing his best yeah you know yeah that dynamic is just like so it balances out so well with aragon's just like intensity and just his 100 that he gives (laughs) and there's just like little little duo as well that's just like hi we're here too like i love it so much the comedic relief in these movies is actually quite strong like yeah. especially between legolas and gimli i feel like their competitions um like when gimli's mm-hmm. like when may the best dwarf win or whatever and like their drinking game like it's like there's a lot of comedic relief that I think is so needed and so well done. Like there was like a, even in the third movie, there's like, um, you know, when Minas Tirith is throwing back the stones, catapulting the stones back at the orcs and it crushes oh, yeah. them. And mm-hmm. then it just cuts to a cave troll who kind of like winces, like makes a like, ooh, kind of a noise. It's so good. It's so it's amazing good. those films can do it so well because they're, they're like, they do feel quite heavy at times. And so f- to, to be able to, re- to think back and recollect so many like, funny moments you do have to get that balance right so it feels appropriate. And, you, and I, I've never really thought about it, which I think speaks to just how well they do it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And like that epic, like there's so many epic battles with all of this, but like with the big elephant and like Legolas and like Gimli, they're like counting how many they're like fighting. And it's like Gimli's like, that still counts as one or something like that. (laughs) It's like the whole like group of people like is, yeah, fought down by Legolas, which actually reminds me, um, I don't know if did anyone watch like the Oscars around this time, this like I don't think so era of Lord of the Rings. No, um, I just like also I I was a really big fan of the Oscars during this time. Like ten year old me was just big fan. I just wanted to quickly mention that something that is so uniquely two thousands about this is, um, I think one of the Oscars uh, when Billy Crystal used to host them. Just, you know, it felt like the 2000s, like, golden age of the Oscars. And Billy Crystal's opening was so heavily, like, Lord of the Rings-related, like, openers and, and jokes and things like that. And there was, like, a moment where I think I think Billy Crystal is, like, his face is, like, put onto Legless's face uh, in that moment. So it's Billy Crystal fighting. And it's just, like, all <laughs> comedy, but it, but it works. And it's just, it's so 2000s. Like... It like you won't see that now, really. <laughs> like that kind of, I, it was just like such a memorable moment to me. And um, all that to say, I I was looking up. I was like, because I remember watching the Oscars and Lord of the Rings just sweeping every single oh, yeah. category. Um, the mm-hmm. film won like seventeen out of thirty Academy Award nominations, and The Return of the King holds the record for most Oscars, alongside like something like ti- Titanic. Um, but this film, I didn't know this, but this film is the only fantasy film until Shape of Water from 2017 to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Wow. Like this was from the Oscar perspective, Lord of the Rings. I that was all I remember as a kid. I'm like, they're winning mm. every category for obvious reasons. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. Just a clean sweep. Yeah, I do. I do recall that where it did really well at the Oscars. Yeah. Um, but I didn't realize they won so many. 17? Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. And I think there was a sense of, like, give it all to Return of the King because, like, you're honoring the whole trilogy by honoring the final one. Um, but even still, like, so well-deserved when you think about this movie, but also, like, the body of work as a whole. So many, like, technical Oscars that clearly, I mean, we're still talking about how great so many of these elements are today. Like, those were good choices then and they remain good choices unlike a lot of the oscars that have been given out i did want to mention whenever i think of minas tirith which is often this movie i I think about the did you guys ever hear about the crowdfunding campaign no the indiegogo campaign that someone set up to to build minas tirith life size (laughs) (laughs) i I just looked it up to see if i could find more information they're trying to raise a shade over a shade a 73 billion and 70 million dollars Oh to build like a, a one-for-one like life-size Minas Tirith with like like a working city oh, <laughs> they raised a hundred and forty five thousand wow. dollars when did this campaign start I think it was a little while ago like if you can if you look it up like Time magazine covered it and some others did too but yes I think 2015 I would go yeah I'd go too right so apparently it was launched by a, an and this is their quote an ambitious team of architects and structural engineers you they ran the numbers yeah any leftover money they have the, they have the know-how they know how to get it done 
and um, any leftover money they got would be just for upkeep and maintenance of the new city. And it was projected for the city to last until 2053. I don't know Whoa. what would happen to it after that, but... Where were they going to do it? I think somewhere in the UK. They were UK engineers, so I think that was sort of what they were envisioning. Um, I feel like in order to make your money back, you would need to do that near Hobbiton in New Zealand so that pe- fans could do a one-two punch. Here's some of so, you know, obviously with Indiegogo, those things, they try to incentivize uh, and encourage donations. So in this case, if you donate 100,000 pounds, you earn the title of lordship or ladyship of the city. Or three pounds. I mean, your three pounds gets you a follow on Twitter. Huh. That's hilarious. <laughs> but I, I think the most amazing thing to me is that they did end up getting, yeah, what was it? About 150,000 Canadian dollars worth of um, donations. I want to know, though, like, was that you know, 150,000 people giving $1? Or was that one, like, wealthy fan who was like, you know what? I'm a billionaire. I've got 150,000 to throw away. This would be yeah. cool. I'm going to, like, get them. I'm going to kickstart them, if you will. If you will. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I want to know the breakdown. Like, how many people contributed there to this? There were 2,279 backers. Oh, wow. And if you go to the Indiegogo campaign, there, if you go to the comments, the first... The first handful are all just comments being like, so when will we be refunded? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so, so funny. So for anyone listening, it didn't happen. Um, we do not have a ministry being built. Sad. And I hope you got your refund if you donated. So sad. I don't know if this is a good segue <laughs> from that, but... I mean, clearly everyone wants this world, like no one wants this world to end. People want to live, breathe and exist in this world. And so, um, again, weird segue, but obviously there's been a lot of body of work that has followed from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And we obviously know the, the Hobbit is also, is it a three movies? I, I'm like it is. Like it. Yeah. it is one book. It is three movies. Three films. Unfortunately. So. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, <laughs> so those spanned from 2012 through 2014. So again, similar kind of back to back per year. And then obviously we had The Rings of Power, which is a TV series that we got this year. Um, I'm curious to know, just as we're kind of wrapping up this conversation, how is everyone feeling about like what's followed since then? I, you know, I, I, uh, I mean, I think many people would probably agree. Nothing's really captured me the same way that Lord of the Rings had. Though I would say that like, I think like with The Hobbit, I, I, it's grown on me more now if I can appreciate it for what it is and, you know, not what I hope it'll live up to be. Yeah, I think, I think I've appreciated it now that I just like being in that world um, and things will be imperfect and that's totally fine, but it's fun to be part of that still. And even if these films and creative projects have different feels to them and may have their faults, of course, but um, I just like being part of it. I mean, yeah, I agree. Like I'm always, uh, what am I trying to say here? I feel like because I'm such a sucker for extra content in a world I love, I often end up sort of um, backing projects that a lot of people don't like, like sequels or whatever. Like I will kind of still enjoy them because I just, I tend to err on the side of more content. With that though, I have to say like the Hobbit movies should not have been three movies. Like there's a lot, Mm -hmm. I think that the first one did well, but after that, like, I think they're really a a scourge, a scourge on the Lord of the Rings rep in a way like 
I think they tried to be exactly what the first three movies were. And to your point, Dan, like, you just can't do that. What I think Rings of Power did well, though, is that they didn't try to do that. Like, they obviously took liberties. Like, there were things that they made their own. And so it felt almost like a completely different story, almost like a completely different world, but within the same spirit of the first three movies. And so even though it was a very different experience, I still quite enjoyed it in a way that I didn't enjoy The Hobbit. I think the hype for that show was so big. I think obviously tied to the news of just what their budget was looking like and how much it was costing Amazon. People were expecting like, a real life Minas Tirith to be built. Um, <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Um, but yeah, no, I I do agree. Like I, I, it does feel very distinct, and they are certainly trying to pave their own way in in, in a sense. Um, of course, like it's never when you have that like golden goose in your mind of like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, it's so hard to sort of meet that, or certainly to exceed it. But it's like it's just honestly fun to you know be with Galadriel again and. Elrond and, and and the gang, even if it falls short. I found myself continuously wondering, like, okay, who's this again? And how does this relate to the trilogy? Like, I was really comparing it. And it didn't, um, you know, I think the show, like, held up well, like I was saying, in the spirit of what they were trying to do. But there's a lot of complex stories that get introduced as soon as you get into any of the source material. And especially beyond Lord of the Rings, like that, they're complex enough. But if you get into the other stuff, there's like so much nuance. So I think there was a lot where I was like, who's this guy? And what? And how does this relate? And how can we already be seeing a Sildor? Like this is like so far in advance from what we know. And he was there. So how does this work? And like there were a lot of questions that the show like facilitated for me. And I... Um, because it's a TV show, I just don't know. Are they going to answer them? I hope so. That's the tricky bit, too, where it's like, you know, you know they've made, what is it, a five-season commitment. Presumably they've done some plotting out season by season and have a bit of a vision, I like to think. All the while, they've taken a lot of this huge timeline and condensed it in such a way to make it fit for TV. And so with those two things, you kind of do have to handhold the viewer to some degree to show them where you're going and get them excited about it. So it does leave some moments where you're like, oh, I didn't realize we're already here. Or we're already seeing the rings being made. And, and oh, this is very quickly happening. Um, and, I, you know, where are we going to go from here? Like, I mean, for people who've watched the the full season, you are kind of left wondering, okay, what does season two look like? And, like, how are they going to fix kind of the, the head-scratching moments that we have in season one? And I, I'm, a, I'm an optimist that I think that it'll improve over time once we have more of the seasons out um that does feel like one of the difficult things that like the the original trilogy got right that all of the subsequent media hasn't quite balanced is like the pacing where the original trilogy feels like it moves but not at the expense of character not at the expense of like understanding these people and their journey whereas the hobbit you were trying to like take a small story and stretch it out so far over three movies that like sometimes it feels like the return of the king is a very battle heavy movie but then you watch like the battle of the five armies and you're like oh my god there's nothing else in this movie but battle so they're like making this entire extra movie for not a lot of like emotional or like character payoff and then with rings of power it's like you're taking so much lore and like it does feel like it's squishing down within the first season to try to cover so much ground so quickly to keep people engaged. So that feels like one of the things that they haven't quite been able to capture that 
the original trilogy really mm-hmm. had right. And I don't think any of these stories that the Rings of Power um, tells are as like flushed out in the source material as Lord of the Rings. Like the, I think a lot of what they're dealing with has been like, Galadriel did this, and then she went here, and then this happened. And it's just, it's very like, almost like a history of, from what I understand. I haven't read this source material. So I can see how that would be hard to kind of create character development out of. Like the whole time Galadriel's just like, gotta get Sauron, gotta get Sauron. And it's like, well, okay, how do you get from that to the Galadriel that we know? Because she's a lot more chill in a way in the movies that that we've seen of her. So mm-hmm. like, it'll be interesting to see how the show kind of does that. For, for a character who's been, who's like thousands of years old, yeah you'd think she might have a bit more political tact a bit more yeah i guess like my i guess it's, you kind of summed it up for me where it's like the galadriel we know from lord of the rings and the galadriel we've seen in the show seem like very different people um and for a character that's been around for thousands of years what takes place that really shifts that character in such a substantial way i guess maybe well, we'll find out i was like okay because i know she has a daughter and a husband at some point i was like yes. does that happen after the like the um events of this show and then she starts telling Isildur about her husband I was like okay so clearly not where's the husband then where's the daughter <laughs> what's going on I know I I loved that yeah. how never mentioning the husband being like I got to get Sauron um to avenge my now passed away brother and just and then an afterthought later in the show being like yeah my husband yeah he's uh yeah that was a bit of a weird one for me also I know we're like getting to the end but i just have to say maybe this is a hot take i do not enjoy their elrond casting choice i don't like him oh i disagree i i (laughs) i really like him i like him too i don't know i guys i can't explain it like it's it's a hard hot take to have because i can't justify it with anything he just feels so incongruous incongruous what's the word i keep saying these big words that i can't actually say (laughs) it just doesn't feel like the hugo weaving version that we've seen feels very like a different character altogether like i don't mind who this new character is but to me it shouldn't be elrond they feel so far apart i think i that they do more the more i think about it um though i think my softness comes from i think he just plays an elf very well and so I forgive him for that. But yeah, quite distinct. Whereas the, I forget her name now, but the actress um, who plays Galadriel, like I think she's terrific, like so spot on. And like, I think she's a Welsh actress if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And so, and in some interviews, she's talked about how her speaking Welsh and just sort of that dialect have helped her with pronun- uh, pronouncing some of the Elven um, words and things like that, which is interesting. But she's terrific. Yeah. Okay. So to wrap this up, I, I have a, Quick fire question. If you were to play a character from Lord of the Rings, Ooh. which character would it be? Go. And Ace. Hands down, Eowyn. Dan. I mean, it'd have to be a hobbit. I. You gotta pick. A specific one? Uh, probably, um, like, Mary. Nice. Amazing. <laughs> Jess? Uh, Legolas. Nice. I was gonna say Gimli. Oh, you guys. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> Look at that. Aww. That's so I cute. I love that. <laughs> You guys. Legolas and Gimli doing a podcast. I can do that. I, I, I listen to that. Pure chaos. Which, I mean, to be fair, that's kind of how we operate. So yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, if you'll indulge me one more question. I want to 
go a little deeper, kind of on the same theme, and like tie it back to you all. Again, with the characters, is there a character that like you either like really relate to or really see yourself in? Or um, Anais, like you mentioned earlier with um, Arwen, is there a character who was like very aspirational for you? Oh, God. <laughs> this is hard. This is a lot harder than the quick fire. I'm making you work for it. I think, like, as much as I said that about Arwen to begin with, I think, like, now in the time of life that I'm in now, it's more Aragorn with a mix of Eowyn, I think, because Eowyn, like, knows who she is so strongly and, like, goes after it so ardently, which I so admire. Like, she signs up for all this scary stuff and is, like, just kind of doing it because she knows she has to, and I think that that's really admirable. But Aragorn just is always doing kind of the right thing like he's so driven by what is good and what is like in service of the people around him and I just think that that kind of core goodness is also very aspirational that's a great answer I mean I will say that I agree on the Eowyn bit like I could not have said that as well as you did you totally articulated it so I'm just gonna like retweet plus one and and on a purely like superficial basis i also relate to the way she is just like immediately in love oh, with yeah. aragorn like she sees him and she's like hello so yeah she's uh both relatable and aspirational <laughs> hard same <laughs> dan what about you there's a character i sort of see myself in that's kind of the question right yeah yeah it might be and i'll explain um but um in some ways frodo but in his and i know it's kind of hilarious picking the main character but sort of in his relationship with Gandalf, I always think about how you know how I came across the Lord of the Rings franchise and these movies, and I, I often think of my dad when I do because he was the one who introduced me. And so in my life, he's sort of that role model, model like figure of um, my sage wisdom. And so I often think of him as like the Gandalf wow. to my Frodo in that way. Aww. And so I think I see. That's so sweet. I think that's sort of who I see because I often think of my dad when I think of of Gandalf. I so love cool. that. I'm gonna cry. And I also think it's completely <laughs> unfair that your dad is both Gandalf and Santa Claus. Yeah. Literally. What it's iconic true. titles to carry. For for <laughs> listeners who aren't aware, my dad uh, moonlights as a Santa Claus. Yeah. Official. Official so Santa cool. Claus. Yeah. Official Santa Claus. Beard and all. Even more likeness to Gandalf. He's the real deal. <laughs> Great question. What about you, Anna? Yeah, really, really great question. Um, I don't know if it's a, uh, this is not, it's not really answering your question. I'm going to change it a little. <laughs> I love the question. I will not answer it. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's because you mentioned about like who you aspire to be as well. And yeah, yeah. yeah and um, I think generally the hobbits, mm. Um I, I, I would have said like Frodo and, and and Sam, but I gravitate, I think the older I get, the more I gravitate towards like Pippin and Mary's relationship and just their whole energy throughout the films is something that I really aspire to. Um, it's a, it's like their, their qualities of just like the, the simple things and like finding love and joy and just meaning of life in <laughs> like truly like food and having a good time with good company and yeah like those things are something that like you just I think as you mature like realize how just important they are and it takes a lot of work to find those you know moments that you want to cherish through your whole whole life and this like whole journey and so like I don't know I just really 
gravitate to, to that energy and I don't think I carry enough of that in, in my life and so it's something that I aspire to very much. So like uncomplicated cool. living, you know? Like yeah. the just kind of slow slowness in a good way. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's I totally understand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why they were like, you know, tapped to carry this huge weight of of this entire journey, right? And like mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's something that we should all like humans can learn from and aspire to don't we all just want to sit down after a hard day with some salted pork and long bottom leaf and just have some beers and yeah love it (laughs) eating eight meals a day i love we all see a bit bit more hobbit in our life it's the life yeah truly agreed that was awesome thanks guys thank you for having us this has been so fun yeah Thank you both so much for spending all of this time with us. Um, We appreciate your insights and your wisdom and your humor and everything that you brought to this podcast. So thank you. Yeah. The amount of just like love that I felt from both of you for this, like all these films, but just like that energy, just so appreciate. We're, We're doing it over Zoom, but like, I mean, you both are amazing. And I'm so happy that like, the portion of people that are listening get an insight into the kind of people that you two are and just on that on its own just i'm so grateful for you both to be sharing a piece of you in this way so thank you you guys you guys guys shucks Shucks. it's i it is a a treat and honor to be on the podcast and so fun um thank you for having us yeah thrilled for this chance to talk about one of my favorite things (laughs) and this has been a blast amazing we were saying that this should be an annual thing and i truly meant it when i said it (laughs) that we should just have this a recurring thing so sign me up same time same place next year next time costumes (laughs) themed food themed food guys heck yes just a lot of lamba spread and potatoes (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right well we're gonna wrap this up um if you have thoughts on Lord of the Rings, which I'm sure you must, because truly, who doesn't? And we have maybe opened like a couple of controversial can of worms over the course of all of this chatting. Um, please let us know what you think. You can reach us at Popcorn Martini Soup on Instagram or Popcorn Martini Soup at gmail.com. Just share all of your Lord of the Rings thoughts with us so that we have something to debate next time we get this little crew together. Amazing. Um, so... Jess and I are going to take a bit of a break uh, over the holidays, going to celebrate and just rest, recharge. We will be back um, in the new year, but yeah, going to take a break after this. So we'll see you in a little bit, but we'll have so much to talk about when we return, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Um, Yeah. So we're just going to hibernate for a little bit and we'll be back with more film talk. And whatever else it is we do here, because truly (laughs) chaos. Who can tell? Chaos. Yes. Um, okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay. Bye.